Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I'm your host, Shane Bacon, and this week's pre-U.S. Open episode with Paul Azinger is brought to you by Ogio in their Ozone Stand Bag. The Ozone showcases their shocks, full suspension straps to make walking the golf course so much easier. It's summer, you're pumped to drop that handicap and maybe drop a pound or two, so why not walk instead of ride? The Ozone makes the whole experience easier and more comfortable. Seven different pockets, including a spot for your rangefinder and your scorecard, a water bottle holder so you can stay hydrated on the golf course. The Ozone is beautiful and functional. Give that and all the great supplies at Ogio a look at ogio.com, O-G-I-O.com right now. And yes, the U.S. Open is upon us. We are a week away. Of course, we've got the St. Jude wrapping up this weekend, but we are all looking ahead at Aaron Hills and the excitement that, that will come with it. The excitement, including... The news about Phil Mickelson, will he play, will he not? The whole graduation thing, you've got Steve Stricker in the field after qualifying, which is really kind of the, the pre-tournament storyline that'll be a lot of fun to watch. And then you've got all these names. You know, Jason Day played, played pretty well at the Memorial. Rory's coming in, really an unknown because we don't really know what's going on. Dustin Johnson had his one kind of slip up at Muirfield Village, as did John Rahm. So a lot in the air. I mean, you know, Jordan Spieth's playing well again, which is nice. He had a, had a little uh, bump in the road there, but... I mean, as you know, most players that aren't Dustin Johnson do, Jordan Spieth kind of back in form. So it's going to be an interesting week, that's for sure. A new golf course. Paul and I talked a lot about Aaron Hills, what it looks like, what it feels like, what type of player we expect to have a chance to contend and get it done. So it was a fun conversation. I urge you, listen to the whole thing. He talks late about his days of playing. He talks about the U.S. Open. He tells a great story of what he did the night before the final round of the PGA Championship. He shares his Phil Mickelson story at the eight at the end that you will not want to miss. So make sure you give that a listen. And I also urge you to do this. I, I mentioned this on Twitter last week, and it's something that I'm really trying to get going. I've never made a hole-in-one. If you follow me on any social outlet, you probably know that you're probably sick of hearing about that at this point. And I was trying to think of something I could do to maybe sway or change the karma hole-in-one gods. And I've decided what I'm going to do is every round I play from here on out and I don't make an ace, I'm going to donate a dollar. So I'm going to put a dollar in a jar and I'm going to donate it eventually to charity. That's going to get donated when and if I ever do make a hole-in-one. So basically every round of golf, I'm going to put a dollar in a jar. The moment it actually happens, which I'm sure you will hear about so much, it'll be annoying, I'm going to donate that to a charity of my choice. If you've never made a hole-in-one, Join me. Let's do it. Let's let's get this thing going. We can we can do something for good causes. Plus, you know, it's a nice little thing to do and set some money aside for somebody other than ourselves because on the golf course we are so into what we're doing. And if we ever get that hole in one, you know what? It's better than buying drinks. You get to give money to a good cause. So that's something I urge you to do. If you do it, send us a picture on Twitter at the Clubhouse Pod of your little hole in one jar. We'll retweet it. Plus, if you do it and you send in a picture, we will send you a Clubhouse koozie. I just got a whole bunch more sent over and they look great with a new phrase on them so at the clubhouse pod hit us up on that start your own charity hole in one game and uh, and we'll see if uh, if we can get it going popularize it and uh, do some good stuff for charity so that's really all i got right now follow us on twitter at the clubhouse pod follow me at shane bacon got newsletters next week we're gonna have three monday wednesday friday and it'll be chock full of aaron hill stuff u.s open things and all that good stuff so make sure you subscribe to that it is pinned right atop that clubhouse pod Twitter account, and that'll do it for me. We are gearing up. I'm home for a couple days, then I go to Wisconsin on Sunday, 
And just like that, the U.S. Open is here, and I know uh, everybody here at Fox is really, really fired up. I hope you are as well. We'll have some great features, some great stuff coming next week, not just on the website, but here on the podcast as well. And with that, let's get to it. Paul Azinger, part of our coverage here on the Clubhouse. And we welcome into the Clubhouse, I would say one of people's favorite guests that we've had, and we've had him a number of times. Been very lucky to have him. Paul Azinger, who of course will be in the booth this week at the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. And Paul, I just wanted to say, I mean, I know the U.S. Open doesn't start till next week. You've been making some news lately. Well, I guess I have. I didn't realize. Well, I, I don't know. Anything Tiger is going to be news, I guess. And uh, yeah, you know, Jason Whitlock loves Tiger. We got on a little bit of a Tiger uh, conversation, and and that stuff sort of came out. I think a lot of people are thinking what I said, but haven't said it. And uh, so I guess you got a little bit of an audio coming. Um, maybe you want to listen to that. I'll just lay out a minute if you want to play some audio. Yeah, this was from the herd uh, earlier this week. You were on with Colin Cowherd, and, and you said this about Tiger Woods. I know firsthand there's some players that think there's a problem there um, with Tiger. I don't. I haven't been around him much uh, in the last few years, but uh, there are some players out there that are saying this has been a problem for a while. And, uh, you know, Tiger's close to uh, a few people, not many. And the few people that are around Tiger – probably know there's a problem and if they don't intervene then uh you know it's on them but addiction's a big deal and uh if if he's addicted then somebody better intervene and zing is this the scuttlebutt that that's fairly known around the pga tour and players i mean this, this idea that the tiger's been battling a little bit with some some issues here you know i'm not sure what the scuttlebutt is to you know to be candid about it i, I really I'm just uh, speculating if, and I probably shouldn't have said anything, but I'm concerned for Tiger's well-being. And, you know, um, I actually what motivated it is I was watching HBO in my hotel room the other night, and uh, there was a whole, uh, there was a show on the opiate epidemic and, and uh, how people look and how they, uh, you know, just lay on a bench and they look like they're going to die. They're laying in the front seat of their car and, and you either you can save them or you can't. It's a terrible thing. And, uh, you know, if if Tiger's got that problem, then that's something that has to be addressed. And if he doesn't have that problem, then I'm the happiest guy in the world. Uh, so, I don't know. Speculation's always hard when it comes to things like that. But I care more about the man than I do about his career, I can tell you that. And that was more of a of a conversation about the man. Um, it's uh, the, I've got friends that have survived, you know, uh, meth and survived pills and survived that, but it it's hard to get off, they say. And uh, either way, I just am pulling for Tiger the man. I don't care about Tiger the golfer anymore until I know Tiger the man is in better shape. That's all that was about. Yeah, and Zinger, you're a guy. One of the things that I always find so interesting about you, just talking to you about the game and, and life around the game, is I feel like you're a guy that does a really good job of looking at it from you know ten thousand feet away. When you were playing professional golf, you know, at your peak, I mean, you were. You were one of those guys. I mean, you you know, you told the story last time you were on the podcast about playing in the memorial with the last group with Tiger, and he walks down with the red shirt on, and uh, he you know, he, to be frank, kind of kicked your butt that day. I think you you yeah, he shot sixty five. <laughs> yeah, he won one by seven or eight. But you know, you you had this ability to play golf at the highest level. When you started to lose that a bit, was it tough to deal with? I mean, this is something you've been doing your entire life, being you know one of the you were you know the best golfer in your high school and college and all this. When it started to kind of slip a bit, was that tough to deal with mentally? Of course it was. It's it's a pride thing, you know, and um, it, if uh, 
if it's slipping, oftentimes you can't really tell it. You just are going along and you're not clutch. You're not making that putt, you know, or, or you're not in, all of a sudden top tens are, you know, you're between 11th and 25th or something. And boy, it's a tough pill to swallow. I can only imagine what Tiger must be dealing with, you know, having played a lot worse. Of course, now um, as, as a player, you know, you're used to adrenaline too. And when that adrenaline is lost, if you're a, a guy that gets in contention, first you have to get used to being in contention and used to the nerves and then once you're comfortable there, man, you can just excel like Dustin Johnson's done since he won the U.S. Open. Um, but when it starts to slip and then you, you don't even get in contention anymore, there's nothing to feed your adrenaline. And uh, you're looking for something else, I suppose. Great, uh, Mostly other athletes from other sports fall into that trap. And then you try to fill that void. When I, I tried to fill the void by going as fast as I could on motorcycles, you know, I guess. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, I just... Uh, uh, it's hard to, to admit you're losing your skills. It's hard to see that you're losing your skills, and it's, it's certainly hard to know why. And uh, but a half a step in a game like football or tennis is pretty noticeable to everybody, but the guy who's lost his half a step. And that's the way I looked at golf. And when I started to slip, um, I didn't really, you know, see it. You always think you can get it back. Golf, you're not looking for steps. It's not a speed thing. My clubhead speed's the same. It's just something changes. You don't quite know how to put a finger on it. It's weird. You'd think that the longer you play golf, the better you'd always get, but it's never that way. You start to get, you, you peak out, and then uh, inevitably, at some point, age 40 or age 50 or whatever the age is, you start to slip a little bit. Bernard Langer and Haler would be maybe the great exceptions. Well, somebody that, that hasn't slipped and, and somebody that's 46 years old and, and currently, I mean, it's, it's Friday morning right now, but currently moving up the leaderboard again in the FedEx St. Jude is Phil Mickelson. I mean, this is a guy that last week made news that he's not going to be at the U.S. Open, but he's left that door ajar a little bit, Paul. I mean, he's basically, he's got a tee time late on Thursday. He's got his own plane. I said it on our sectional show, I think Phil Mickelson tees it at Aaron Hills. What do you think? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? It's a big story now. Uh, there's even a petition for the high school to move uh, his daughter's graduation up an hour or two so that he can make his tea time. You know, Phil flies around on one of the nicest airplanes in the world, and that's part of the reason why you have a plane like that, so you can see everything your your kids do. If if push came to shove, I mean, there's a no-brainer. You, you go to your daughter's graduation. Um, she's valedictorian. She's speaking at the graduation. But it's a shame that nobody saw this earlier because this is such an easy fix for the school. Uh, once it's scheduled and everybody's, you know, involved, has made, you know, their plans, then it's it becomes almost impossible. So I hope he makes it. Um, Mickelson's got one of those swings that lasts forever. He's way past parallel. He's not lost any flexibility. It doesn't appear. He's dealing with psoriatic arthritis. We've all seen those commercials. And uh, he just keeps going. A big part of that is uh, his desire to compete and – you know, his uh, work ethic must still be pretty good. So uh, he's an all-time natural. I was, I'm was i kind of hoping six seconds equals one U.S. Open win, but it doesn't look like the USJ is going to go for that. So he's going to have to, you know, he's got he's to gotta win one to, to uh, win that grand slam. you got to figure that he's circled every U.S. Open on his calendar for the next 10 years, and it's just a terrible oversight that, 
that date and the conflict of the graduation was something that nobody caught, uh, or else it, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Well, you know, what I keep thinking, and maybe I'm just trying to be romantic with all this, but would there be a better Phil Mickelson story to to finish off his career? This is a guy that's been a family man first his entire life. I mean, you think back to 1999. Yep. I mean, he's got the beeper in his bag playing alongside Payne Stewart. Looks like he's going to win that U.S. Open. You know, every time he wins, the kids are on the green. He's giving Amy the kiss. I mean, he has been a guy. You know, he takes he takes big stretches during the, the middle of the year off to, to go on spring breaks with his family. I just almost feel like for some reason, again, I know sports aren't movies, but it feels like this could just be one of those storylines. I mean, Aaron Hills is a golf course that I think Phil could really play. It's got wide fairways. You know, he hits it plenty far enough to compete. The greens are perfect. A lot of, like, areas where he can use his short game and lean on it, come up with creative ways to play golf shots. I just almost feel like him getting on that plane at 11 a.m. and he flies to Wisconsin and he gets out and he tees it up and he plays four days and he's in contention on Sunday. I mean, we at Fox, of course, would love it, but it almost feels like it'd be the story for Phil, you know, to finish off this 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 movie level career he's had, where you know he's been a lovable loser and now he's the face of the PGA Tour at 46 still. You know, you are such a romantic. I just unbelievable. Love it. it just it feels it, like I, it. I, you know, uh, the Joel Klatt made a great point yesterday on uh, the herd that uh, it's really storylines that are unique and different on the PGA Tour because the PGA Tour is fairly the same every week. Somebody's going to win by one or two, or, or you know, it's going to be intense to watch the close and how they finish and blah blah. But it's the cast of characters that get in contention that make the story that pique people's interest. And you're right. If that ha- if Phil Mickelson's in contention at this U.S. Open, if he happens to be able to play, if all the cards fall in the right spot and he can get there, what a story that would be. And you're right about the golf course and how it suits Phil Mickelson's game. I think he takes pride in his ability to figure a golf course out. Um, he takes pride in his ability to learn slope and undulation and all that sort of thing. And it's, it's such a good course for Phil because the fairways are a little wider than normal. The rough is deep. Around the greens, you know, you may not see a chip or a pitch out of tall rough at a U.S. Open. We might not see one until the 12th hole. And I'm telling you what, that's pretty unusual, isn't it? It's going to be more bumping and running. It's going to be a little more like the Masters and and that pitching and chipping uh, aspect. It's right up Phil's alley. Most of the second shots are up the uphill, so that requires a high ball fight with lots of spin. It's right up Mickelson's alley, and uh, it would be one heck of a storyline if he could get in there. But let's just—he's got to get in the tournament first. He's in the tournament. He's got to be able to get there and play. Well, I asked you this on the phone uh, earlier this week, and and I I was doing this because we were doing that that sectional show for Fox, just basically trying to set people up for what Aaron Hills is like. I asked you. You know, you played in tons of major championships at completely different venues throughout the United States and in Scotland. What does Aaron Hills feel like if you're going to compare it to golf courses? You know, that's a good question, the, the way you ask me, because people say, what does it feel like? Most, or you say, what does it feel like? Most people ask me, what, what does it remind you of? And I tell you, it, 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 it reminds me of maybe British links because of the look and no trees, but it doesn't play like that. And it, it honestly, when you're playing it, it doesn't feel like that. It, it's going to be a little bit more moist than they want it. I think it's not going to be as fast. There's not any real run up holes, a couple maybe. And, uh, but it does have a linksy feel. 
even though it's kind of uh, what do they call it? What do they call it, Shane? Not not Midland, but uh, Heartland Golf. It's Heartland Golf. Heartland. Whatever that is, uh, Heartland of the United States is unique, and it was uh, apparently this land was underneath a glacier at one time. That uh, I guess a billion years ago. I don't know how they know all this <laughs> stuff, but uh, I look at Aaron Hills and think they, you know, they probably could have built it with a teaspoon or a, a shovel at least. Not they didn't need bulldozers and mules and plows and all that stuff like they did back in the day or present day. It's just a fabulous piece of land, but the feel um, is is uh i don't want to say what it feels like it it feels not claustrophobic and which is so i'm gonna say what it doesn't feel like most u.s opens feel claustrophobic but this one doesn't this feels like you can just get up and let it eat off the tee and uh explosive players are going to probably like it guys that have that kind of power i think are really really going to like this golf course well that's been the theme that that i've heard and and i've said it i mean uh, so much the Dustin Johnsons, the John Roms, the Rory's, Jason Days, these types of guys that bombing off the tee are going to eat this place up because the fairways are playable. I mean, you can get the ball in play. There's four par fives. It seems like it's going to be a place for that. So my question to you is, if you're looking at a player that could be the outlier to that, a guy that doesn't bomb it off the tee but can get it around, is there a name or a person that you see that you feel like is, is playing either playing well enough right now to get in contention despite being the Dustin Johnson type player? And is there somebody you think that could sneak in and, and maybe steal this thing away from the Bombers? Well, I'll get romantic on you again. I'm going to say that uh, somebody like Stricker, uh, somebody like Furick, somebody, I don't does Kisner bomb it? Kisner's the guy that I think is the, the next best thing coming. Yeah, not a big a bomber. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't bomb it either. So, so then I'll call. put, yeah, I'll put Kisner on top of all those guys. It's kind of a windswept property that requires accuracy but if a power guy has accuracy and he's going to get a few more wedges than than uh you know kisner or or stricker and that might make all the difference you know if you get two wedges a day that's eight wedges in a week and that that might you know you get half of those up and down versus a guy who didn't you got him um so but i like i like kisner he's kind of my new favorite uh dustin johnson right now is my all-time favorite for this tournament, he's just got it all, bro. And uh, I think he embraces this this uh, position that he's currently in as a player. He's got great people around him. Just through observation, looking at Gretzky, I'm sure is helpful for him. And um, but you know, my little my kind of dark horse guy is Kisner right now. Did you read the article about John Rom? Uh, I think Jaime Diaz yeah. wrote that article. Wow, what a player! How about in college he could flop a four iron? out of a bunker uh, or uh, you know, around the green better than everybody else on the team was, was flopping their 60 degrees. He's a mega talent, but he is a bomber, so he doesn't fit the category what we're talking right. about. Um, I don't know who else. Duffner is going to be on a hot streak. I don't think he putts near well enough to do it. Sergio, I feel, is a bomber. I don't think he putts near well enough, uh, but I don't know. And in the end, I can't wait to watch it. It, it is, uh, by and large, it is just a terrific golf course. It's what the USGA now is referring to as the ultimate test. They don't, they don't want the U.S. Open to be framed anymore as the toughest test, but more the ultimate test. Um, you already got players saying things. You know, uh, Adam Scott played a practice round there, and the rough was so deep that uh, I just think he's, he's afraid that, that it's going to get out of control and that, that 
but whatever, every week, every year, every season, there's the hardest week of the year. And right. about 90% of the time, it's the U.S. Open week. So you better get ready, and uh, let's just let them get after it. Well, there was an interesting conversation that, that I was I was kind of paying attention to on Twitter that happened the last couple of days. And, uh, you know, Aaron Hills, you mentioned it. I mean, Adam Scott said, you know, if you hit it in this rough, you can't play out of it. I hit it in the rough a lot a couple of weeks ago when we were there. It is almost... It is almost impossible to get a lob wedge out of this stuff. I mean, that's how thick the, the really heavy stuff is. But on a day without wind, I mean, you've walked the course, you've played the course, you know Aaron Hills. On a day with no wind, which is, you know, obviously not likely, but if there is a down day, much like the first round of the, the Open Championship back in 2010, could you see a player get hot and get close to maybe shooting that 62 that we've never seen in a major? I would be surprised by that. Uh, I don't think it's overly difficult without wind but there's really no golf course that's really incredibly difficult without any wind you know very few wind is the great defender um, of a golf course but 14 of the 18 holes have some kind of blindness or semi-blindness now i always say it's only blind once but it's still (laughs) tricky well it is you know once you know it that's it you got it but all those second shots you know to to green sitting slightly above you is a little unnerving for a player. And I think it makes it difficult for anybody to get that super low score going. And now we got par 72, so you're talking 10 under during a round. The USGA sets the holes in positions that I always felt were like a foot too close to the edge. You know, it's like <laughs> maybe two feet too close. Right, like, right. Gosh, right. if that was just two foot, two feet safer. <laughs> I would two-putt this no problem. But now i got to worry about it trickling over that little edge there. So they defend the course. They, they got it figured out. Their goal is to identify the best player, not to embarrass the best player. And um, I, I like their philosophy. And it, it's a heck of a golf course, I think, that's capable of defending itself. And when you say if there's no wind, I just don't see that happening. I, I just believe it is just it in a it's a windswept property and it's just gonna be you know, it actually makes it so that the USGA has to be very mindful of the wind uh in their course setup. So there's a, a strategic burden on the USGA to get it right because they could make a mistake if the wind is if they don't if they don't judge the wind properly themselves. If they get some of those T's or or holes cut in spots that are um, you know, the wind relegates useless, then you got, you got to be smart about where you set it up, how you set it up, excuse me. Well, you, you sat down with Dustin Johnson. You mentioned earlier Dustin's kind of your guy. You sat down, I mean, you, you sat down with him for, for nearly an hour for an interview with Fox. Yep. And first thing, what surprised you the most spending that much time face-to-face with DJ? He has really gotten um, comfortable doing these interviews. I think, and he was very relaxed and very candid, and he opened up about a lot of things, you know, that have have driven him. Some of the questions I asked DJ were really about, you know, how he learned how to think, who taught him how to think. You know, he was the second-ranked amateur in the country coming out of college. He won his first year on tour after 20-something events, and uh, he has won every year since. But then some, you know, then he got even better yet. So, uh, but my, I was just really surprised at his ability to, uh, open up like that. Honestly, I was nervous about the interview. I, I've never done an interview like that. And, uh, I was afraid I was going to get a bunch of one word answers. And I had uh, two papers 
you know, all highlighted with the key questions and, and things like that in case he was clamming up on me. And he, boy, he was the opposite. I never even looked at my sheet. I just responded to the things that, that he was saying. Uh, Gretzky was a big influence on him. His college coach was a huge influence on him. And, uh, but DJ is just a remarkable athlete with a great work ethic. His work ethic is, has improved. You know, his off-the-course problems or issues or whatever, we didn't get into any of that, but they're gone. They're non-existent. And uh, I just think he's a superstar, uh, and he's going to be a superstar for a long time. Our, uh, my career parallels his career in some respects. I had a seven- or eight-year streak that was really good. and But when it ended, well, I got sick. When it ended for me, that was it. And we're, we're running at about the same age. And uh, now DJ... Uh, you know, he's not sick. And I just see his level of confidence is through the roof. He's won five tournaments since he won the U.S. Open and has finished uh, third or better. He's finished third nine times or better. It's just amazing what he can do. He's leading the tour in distance. He's leading the tour in greens and regulation. And he's in the top ten in uh, wedge play from 50 to 125 yards. And if any, you can't defend against that. Right. I don't care who you are. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I do feel like Dustin, in, and I'm going to ask you about kind of the public perception about him, but I do feel like Dustin's been the guy for years that we've just looked past a little bit. I mean, it's it's is Rory the new guy? Oh, yeah. Is Jason Day the new guy? Is Jordan Spieth the new guy? Is Ricky Fowler the new guy? Matsuyama, Justin Thomas, all these names come up. And I wonder if it's just age, if it's our interest in the 22-year-old you know, superstar, because that's what Tiger did. And and yet DJ's been here, like you said, since his rookie season. He wins and wins and wins, and he's been so mm-hmm. close in majors, and he finally gets it done at Oakmont. And I, I think you're right. Coming to Aaron Hills, it's it's not will Dustin win. It's who can beat Dustin. You know, the golf course can beat Dustin, but, but there's no player that's going to really be able to beat him if he's playing great, I don't think. I think when he's his best, he knows he's the best. He has a belief about himself, and you know nobody gives him enough credit. They all say, "Oh, Dustin's dumb or whatever," but his golf IQ is now off the chart. And when you're saying with Butch Harmon every day, what do you think Butch Harmon's doing with these guys? You know, he was pretty adamant that Butch Harmon didn't change his swing, and Butch told him. I asked him, "What's the most memorable thing Butch has ever said to you or done with you?" And he just said, "The first time I met Butch, and we sat down, and he said, i 'I'm not going to change your swing. We'll make.'" make it a little bit better. But I guarantee you, Butch has helped Dustin learn how to think. What a player thinks doesn't necessarily transfer. And, you know, I'm not trying to word circle here, but I'm just saying what a guy thinks is way different than how a guy thinks. I don't know what Jack thought to get to impact solid every day. He said he had six or eight keys, and he felt different every day. And if one key didn't work, he'd go to the next. Dustin's the same way. So was I. So was Trevino. But what we did... Didn't, doesn't transfer to the next guy. But how we think transfers, that's everybody. So once a good player like Dustin learns how to think, Katie bar the door. And I think that's what Butch Harmon has done for Dustin Johnson. People don't realize Butch Harmon won a tournament on tour. He played the tour. Butch Harmon can play. And I think Butch, like even with Tiger, he helped Tiger learn how to think, to prioritize what was important, the ability to redirect when you're standing on a tee and you don't like it, you know, I, I, I could stand on a tee that I didn't like, and I could picture the pump house on the back of the range that I used to hit to, and I could say to myself before I draw it back, if I'm, hitting, if I'm on the range at my home course hitting at that pump house, 
I'm never missing it more than five yards, one side or the other. And then you just let it rip like you're on the range. That's a redirect. You know, you can you can look around and say, I'm not going to let these guys celebrate at my expense. And it takes all the pressure off you. And that's what that's how to think. Guys have to figure out ways to navigate themselves around. I asked Dustin, did you know on number 12 at the U.S. Open when they came up, you know, we talked about the ruling and all that. Did you know where you stood? No. Well, you know, you were two shots ahead. I didn't care. Right. All I knew was I had to hit a great shot here off this tee, and I had to play this hole. The future brings anxiety. The past you can learn from. Sometimes the past brings anxiety because you have you because you put it into the future. Like I hope I don't blow it again. You have to redirect your way out. The moment, the present. That's the key to being a great player. It's really the key to life. If if Dustin Johnson can stay in the moment and stay in the present moment. Think about what he what he accomplished at this U.S. Open. What an overcomer. What an achievement to having lost the way he lost, knowing coming in that the media is going to berate you about that. He had great answers. He focused on what he did well. And he said to me in that interview that it's the best I've ever been at staying in the moment. So the guy knows how to think now. He is a good thinker on the golf course. His golf IQ has soared, and he's had a lot of people help him, and he's had a lot of failure to deal with, and he's had a lot of failure to overcome. And you either learn from your experiences or you never recover from them. Dustin Johnson's a good learner, a great learner, and now clearly the best player in the game. Yeah, I mean, you you made a great point when you said, you know, what the public perception about Dustin is. I mean, he's just this jock that hits a golf ball far a buddy of mine, DJ, and I have had this conversation a couple of times. By the way, my, my friends' names are way less fun than yours. Your friends always have these goofy names. But we have this theory about uh, you, you, the good. Have you seen? You've seen Good Will Hunting, right? The, the movie Good Will Hunting with oh, yeah. Matt Damon. And you know, Will Hunting has this moment where he's talking about pianos and math, and he says, "You know, for me, I can just play." And to me, you know, Dustin Johnson's not going to explain the Cuban Missile Crisis or solve a Rubik's Cube with a blindfold on. But this is a guy that sees a seven iron and a golf ball. And to him, it's music and it's art. And I feel like he doesn't get enough credit for having that mind. I love what you're saying about the way he thinks because I feel like people just look at him and go, how can you not win with this talent? And you can be you know, 6'5 and hit at 400 yards, but that doesn't equate to success in golf. Golf is, is 850 things happening and you figuring out one way to get it done. And I feel like th- this idea that Dustin is this – jock you know dummy that just is good we got a good golf swing i feel like that really sells the guy short i mean he's so much more than that on this golf course well that's right and it becomes a psychological battle every step you take your mind is just flying you know and you've got a million things going on and you watch these guys walking from one shot to the next and as a viewer i'm sitting there watching and you don't even take into consideration what's going through that player's mind but it's a battle. It's a vicious battle. And it can, golf can be so easy sometimes. You know, um, I, I can remember how easy golf was when I would shoot in the 60s every day. Easy as pie, man. There was no battles going on. It was as routine. Winning mental battles was as routine as, as walking. It was as natural as walking. Jack didn't have to fight those battles. He, it was, winning battles was so routine for him. But for Dustin, it was anything but routine. When he, when he was playing that last round, he started four shots back and won by three with a penalty. So, uh, But, you know, you don't just dumb your way around there. You have to think your way around. 
And he had a philosophy and a strategy that said, I don't care where I stand, I'm going to play the shot that needs to be played at the moment. And I think Dustin's a lot like Fred Couples in that he's, just like you said, he's not going to talk to you about a Cuban Missile Crisis. But when it comes to golf, that sweet spot takes a beating. And I don't think Dustin Johnson misses a sweet spot very often, just like Fred Couples. Yeah, the, the Fred Couples. I remember get, got asked one time, you know, what does he what does he do when he when he you know mishits a shot? And he said, I don't really miss hit shots. I mean, he was being honest. You know, he said, I mean, I do, I just hit it in the middle of the face. He goes, I'll push it and pull it sometimes, but he's you know it's getting hit in the middle of the club face. And I agree with you. I mean, the sweet spot on Dustin's golf clubs, he could probably just use a club that's that size. He probably doesn't even need the full face because that's just where he hits it. But you know, I, I wanted to ask you a question about a U.S. Open and and really a a year you had back in 1993, you won the PJ Championship that year. How influential was the 1993 U.S. Open to you going on to win the PGA Championship later that year? Because you nearly won that U.S. Open. You got you were in contention basically throughout the whole week. Yeah, I'm still irritated that I didn't win there. I didn't make any putts at Baltusrol, <laughs> uh, especially on Sunday. But I always think putting's the measure of your heart. And there was a something in there that was flickering away at me that, you know, I just wasn't as, as comfortable as I needed to be on the greens that week. and uh, But I, I think you can really tell uh, how a guy feels on the inside uh, by how his ball's rolling up to the hole. If it's coming up short, he's not that comfortable. And uh, that's generally the indicator. I think um, the key for Dustin was when he started holding good putts. He did three-putt the 14th hole, but... Man, he made a great putt on 16, about an 8- or 10-footer dead center, and he made about a 4-footer on 17. Um, so, uh, But for me personally, I, I felt I was very confident. I had, a nice, I had 11 top threes in 10 months, and I had already won three times, including the Tour Championship. So I was probably the most confident player in the field, and I knew Inverness Club like the back of my hand. I'd done a bunch of outings there. Then I got great advice from Byron Nelson the night before we played. I, I said, Mr. Nelson, I know you were the pro here at the Inverness Club for a long time. If there's anything you can tell me about the golf course. And Byron Nelson said, well, Paul, he says, I believe that the greens are so small here at the Inverness Club that if you aim for the center of every one of them, you probably have a pretty good birdie putt. <laughs> and that was what I did. Sometimes it's just too simple, right? I mean, it's it, that's such an it, easy it really philosophy. Is, it is very simple, but it's not easy. It's like the fundamentals. The fundamentals are simple, but they're not necessarily easy. Golf is two turns and a swish. It's not turn, swish, turn. It's turn, turn, swish. And once you get that sequence right, then the rest is the uniqueness of the individual because no two swings ever look the same. From the belt up, no two swings have ever looked the same. And what is the fundamental? Would you take Adam Scott's career numbers or would you take Jim Furyk's career numbers? Furyk's trying to kill a snake in a phone booth. That's what he looks like. <laughs> and Adam Scott's the most picturesque swing in the world, but Furyk has a better record than Adam Scott. And uh, but they both do two. You know, they both have two turns in a swish. <laughs> it's it's, and, it's uh, the same idea. Just yeah. just just looks a little bit different. It's simple, but it's not easy. I'll tell you that. And there's nothing easy about trying to win at this level. There's nothing easy about trying to get on tour and, uh, or any level. It's, there's nothing easy about winning the club championship. If you think that's supposed to be easy, you're making a mistake. It's not fun. There's nothing fun about winning the club championship. It's fun when it's over, 
But you got to be in the moment. You can't be out ahead of yourself. What if I win the club championship? Oh, well, are they going to put my picture on the wall? Am I going to get a, my name on my parking place? It's so easy to get out ahead of yourself. But you got to stay right in the moment. And that's just the way golf works. And it's cliche as cliche can be. But Dustin Johnson figured out how to do it at the U.S. Open. He never allowed himself to get ahead of himself. He never allowed himself to focus on his demons of the past. He stayed in the moment and beat that sweet spot to death. And then when it, when push came to shove and putting was the measure of his heart, he buried those putts on 16 and 17 when he had to make them. You, you, your, your thoughts on, uh, on not being fun reminded me, I think you told me a quote at the Masters. Is it Tony Jacklin that told you what it was like having, having the 18-hole lead uh, or the 54-hole the lead at the U.S. Open? Oh, yeah, Tony Jacklin. I asked him what it was like in front of a group, <clears throat> um, and he said about being right there, you know, the last day at the U.S. Open, he said, for 23 hours... Because this is going to the last day. I said, what was it like Saturday night going last day? For 23 hours, I would have traded places with anyone on earth. That's how he said it. <laughs> I laughed. And then he said, but five hours later, I wouldn't have traded places with anyone on earth. And that sums it up. That sums up your mind. It is a, it, it, it is a relentless, you know, uh, thing that's going on in your head you do everything you can to stay in the moment you know i've had chances to win tpc jacksonville and i knew i had could possibly win on tuesday and on tuesday you're thinking about 17 on sunday <laughs> and then you gotta say no no no, not there yet <laughs> i might not even be in contention right 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 and then comes sunday you're thinking about 17 oh no no i'm not there yet i gotta come back here I might not even be in contention when I get to 17. Then I'd feel foolish about worrying about 17. But that's the battle. On the night before uh, the PGA Championship that I won, I went to see the movie The Fugitive at midnight, just in hopes that I could get some sleep and, and for my 3 o'clock or 2.50 tea time. It just is, it, it's always in your head, golf. Everything about it is always flooding into your head. You have to have this great gift of being able to stay in the moment, like Mickelson's got it. Like at the Ryder Cup, um, you know, come Sunday in 2002, I was in a vulnerable spot. 7, 8, 9, 10, or 10, 8, 9, 10, 11, those are the vulnerable spots. That's where it's going to fall, the winner and the loser. And somebody's going to be on, in the winner. Uh, <clears throat> someone's uh, in that pairing is going to be a winner and someone's going to be a loser. That's just the way it's going to be. And I'm eating one cornflake at a time because I know I'm going to be in that vulnerable spot all day. And I look over at Mickelson, who's out number 11. I was out number 7 that day. Mickelson's number 11, vulnerable spot. Guy's eating three waffles, two fried eggs, <laughs> got his syrup going, and the whole nine yards. And as I reflect back on that, Mickelson was in the moment. He was enjoying his waffles. He didn't fret about what being in that 11th spot meant. I was freaking out about being in that vulnerable spot. Turns out I hold the bunker shot that year to keep us alive. But that's the difference, that my battles were really harder. But why is Mickelson so great? Mickelson stays in the moment. Same with Jack. You know, all these guys, are they have the ability to be in the moment. Mickelson enjoyed those waffles, man, and all I did was envy the fact that Mickelson enjoyed those waffles. And there I was chewing on one cornflake at a time. 
So, <laughs> Mickelson's, that's like Mickelson's uh, Montana John Candy moment. You know, you're, everybody's nervous and he's sitting yep. there going, look who's in the stands. That's, uh, that's pretty great. Well, I, I want to I ask you two more things. One, and you mentioned this, and it's funny because I was going to lead into this at some point, but you said it. I asked you about the U.S. Open and you had that moment where you just said, man, I should have won that. You told me at, the, at Augusta, we were sitting there having lunch, and just kind of out of nowhere you said, I could have won this tournament twice. This still eats at you. These types of things still eat at you at 57 years old. It's been it's been 30, 25, 30 years. It kills me that I didn't win the Masters, and I didn't really have too many cracks at it, but I had probably three or four cracks at it on the back nine on Sunday, and I didn't produce. And, yeah, it eats at you. When you get there and you realize you could have done it, why, wasn't I, why didn't I man up and do it that week? What, what, what stopped me? Same with the U.S. Open. Of course, the British Open. I talked to Dustin about that, you know, that people think that, you know, Dustin was so devastated by all his losses, but in the end, it's just part of life and we're big boys and we're professionals and you got to keep going. You just got to keep going. Look at Sergio Garcia. I mean, the ultimate coulda, shoulda, woulda guy. And he did it. He did it at the masters, probably the hardest place to putt in the world. He really focuses on, it highlights uh, Sergio's weakness the masters does and he won the masters of all the majors he won the masters i mean i look sergio should get in contention at every u.s open the way he drives it right but that putter sabotages him and it it was what he overcame the most to win the masters he made good putts he missed a putt to win it and uh i thought that's it he's not going to ever win a major and then he ends up winning the masters of all places but we're big boys and we can overcome those defeats and uh, it's just part of it. You try to do the best you can possibly do as a professional. If you don't win, I can just tell you 25, 30 years from now, you're going to look back and say, dang, I should have won that tournament. <laughs> I believe. I mean, I believe I that it. about a lot of places. Do you? It comes in oh, sticks I should have won TPC Jacksonville. Oh, definitely should have won Jacksonville twice, but didn't do it. And, uh, yeah, it just happens. It's part of it. And you you got to look back and say, I did the best I could at the time. And it it eats at you, but it doesn't really eat at you. It's just something that you can reflect back on for a minute or two and say, wow, I, I could have done that. And then you go back to your waffles, I guess. Do you, how, how many? How many uh... I'm, a, I'm wolfing down those waffles now because i got no pressure. Yeah, you're good to go. Well, you, you, you're you going to have pressure next week. I was going to ask you, what's the nerves like when you are about to start a big broadcast like this compared to when you're playing? I mean, are they similar nerves? Yeah, no, no, it's not. You know, you don't. You know, when you're playing golf for a living, you are completely aware of how your body feels, and uh, if your arms feel heavy or light, if uh, you feel groggy or or sharp, if you're jumpy or or not, you're completely aware of that. As a uh, as a broadcaster, I think you just have to observe. We don't know what the action's going to be. The picture's descriptive. You just got to let the picture be descriptive as an analyst, and then you be informative. And I've got 35 years of living in this life of professional golf, and the information's in there, and it has to come out according to whatever the picture's showing us. You can watch it with the mute button on if you want. The graphics tell you how many under par the guy is, and you don't have to have it. You know, I don't get as nervous um, doing a broadcast. I generally can't wait to share or articulate to try to enhance the viewer experience with information that's not so blatantly obvious to the viewer. That's my goal. How, how long is your notes, uh, your notes app pages for, uh, for all the zingers you're going to give people next week? Oh, I know. I have some, a million notes. You got some new ones in there? 
No, I don't know if I have any new ones. I'm pretty, <laughs> uh, you know, set in my. It's like you know, Ken Venturi has like five catchphrases, you know, throughout his whole forty years of being in that broadcast. Right. With look out left, or he'll be like, look out. That's all you're used to hear. <laughs> look out, because he knew it wasn't going worse than where the guy wanted. <laughs> And that's all you needed. Look out! When when you were half asleep watching golf and you heard Ken Venturi say "Look out," you popped up off the couch and you watched. Where's that going? So uh, I, I just don't think you know. My wife usually reminds me now. Just remember, nobody's tuning in to hear you. <laughs> True. <laughs> Tune in to watch you. You go. Thank you very much. It's 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 a nice reminder. Well, uh, well, Zinger, I know you uh, you got some stuff. You're going to play. Uh, you're going to play LACC right now. You lucky dog. Yeah, we got the Walker Cup there coming up. I would have liked to have seen Riviera, but they're plugging the greens. It's closed for the next week. Got the USAM at Riviera out here in L.A. and the Walker Cup at L.A. North, which, wow, I can't believe we got L.A. North on TV. That is just going to be so cool. So I'm out here doing a little prep, and then I can't wait to go do the U.S. Open. I did a Harley-Davidson segment uh, for our U.S. Open coverage because they're right there in Milwaukee, and uh, I'll get there tomorrow, and then Sunday I'm doing some kind of they got a Harley set up for me to kind of cap off whatever it is uh, PT's putting together for our show. Nice. Do you, so do you, I'm, do you still Harley uh, it I'm up? I'm looking forward to it. You, you still motorcycle? I'm going to Harley it up somewhere. I mean, they're going to have to show me riding into the course right now. Nice. You know, I really, really wanted to ride to the U.S. Open. And uh, it's unfortunate I wasn't able to because of scheduling. But that, that would have been really cool. Like the whole way? You're saying from Florida to, to, to Wisconsin? Well, either that or I could have gotten on the auto train, which dropped you off just outside D.C. My thinking initially was to go through Gettysburg, because I've never been there. I wanted to see all that, um, you know, get off the train, and then it's only like a 15-hour ride from there. But uh, I didn't do it. Here I sit in L.A. You know, got to go play L.A. North today. <laughs> yeah, t- tough, tough gig. Well, uh, well Paul, uh, one, one final thing, and I'm just going to say this publicly because we had a conversation about it. we got to get you back on Twitter just for, just for, just for a few weeks a year. Maybe, maybe maybe dip in, like four weeks a year we can get you on Twitter. Man, you know, the only thing that keeps me off Twitter at this point is all the negativism that comes back at you when you say something, and the people that don't like you. And it does, it does affect me, and it affects me if I see negativism. And I just think, why am I letting that into my life? So I, I eliminated Twitter, so don't look for me, don't ask for me. I ain't coming back. <laughs> He's done. He's retired. That's Paul Azinger. You can well, see him the in the booth. Thing, cause it, tweeting should have cost me my job, but it didn't at ESPN. And then uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Fox doesn't want me on Twitter either, so I'm, I'm going to happily just doing this, stay right here. <laughs> I'm just doing this to rile up a couple of our bosses. Paul, I appreciate the time. Uh, have fun at LA North. I will see you Monday morning, bright and early. You got it. All right, buddy. I'll see you there. Well, that was great. Many thanks to Paul. He's one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite people, really, in the world. I mean, he is he is such a trip, such a great guy, always down to help out, which I really, really appreciate from Paul. One final reminder to visit Ozio.com. Give the Ozone stand bag a look. I mentioned that it showcases their shocks, full suspension straps, and that makes walking on the golf course a lot more easier and a lot more comfortable. It makes the entire experience better for you on the golf course. Seven different pockets including a spot for your scorecard and a spot for your rangefinder. It's also got the, the outside golf ball holder, so if you have to use a mulligan, you don't have to go search it in your golf bag. A water bottle holder is good, especially in the summer heat. It's beautiful. It's functional. Give that and all the great supplies at Ogio a look. Also, just give their backpacks a look. Trust me, they're the best backpacks. I travel, I've been traveling like crazy, and I always see these people with, with Ogeo backpacks, and I want to give them a little fist pound. I don't, because I don't want to disturb them at the airport, but I want 
to give him a little fist bump because I know they're they're smart traveler. If you want a koozie and you've stayed around this long, hit us on Twitter at the Clubhouse Pod. Join that hole in one idea I had. Let's let's donate some money to charity and also maybe change and, and sway the karma gods to finally let us in this hole in one club that we so badly want to be a part of. Follow me on Twitter at Shane Bacon. We are right here. I mean, Aaron Hills is upon us, and I am very, 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 very excited about showing the world that golf course. Get some golf in this weekend. If you're going to play golf, go play this weekend because next weekend you're going to have so much coverage on Fox, you won't be able to leave the couch. Trust me, we will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for enjoying it. If you love the podcast, just write a review. It helps us out a lot. We'll be back with more Clubhouse Podcasts next week.